I uh, have some uh, reminders that I will share at the end tonight, but right now, Acts chapter 11 is the chapter we're going to be in this evening. Acts chapter 11. To set up this chapter tonight, remember, it was always God's program to go into all the world and share the gospel to go beyond the environs of Jerusalem. And what we see happening here in Acts chapter 11, beginning with the persecution that started after the stoning and death of Stephen, was that the gospel and that God's people were finally moving out from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what is happening is that Jerusalem, if you will, is no longer the center. <laughs> that actually what we're going to see is that Antioch is going to become, at least for a while, sort of the headquarters for the new movement to spread the gospel out to the uttermost parts of the world. I want to primarily focus on God's activity in Antioch, but before we do that, again, just a couple of things that sort of wrap this whole chapter up so that we can sort of wrap our arms around it all. One is that you're dealing, God is dealing here both, in a sense, macro and micro. He, he's dealing with the large church and large chunks of the church, but at the same time, you see him dealing with individuals and working in and through them. For instance, in this chapter, you have Peter, you have Stephen mentioned. You have some people that aren't even mentioned by name, but we're going to talk about them tonight. And then you have a man by the name of Barnabas, and then Saul. And all these people are running the race, if you will. And what I want to encourage us to do is to follow their example, because each of these folks, they were running the full race. <laughs> they were running as far as God wanted them to run. You see, there's times where the church goes beyond what God wants us to go or where God wants us to go, and that's not good. But there's also times where the church, God's people, don't go as far as God wants us to go. In fact, let me use an Old Testament example, the nation of Israel. God said, I've got all this promised land that I want to give you, and I want you to inhabit, and I want you to drive out all the people in that land, and I want you to occupy it. And you know the Old Testament story. They never did go all the way with God. They, they never went all the way with God and literally occupy everything that God had for them. They stopped short. And what I want us to be encouraged by and also challenged by tonight is making sure that all of us, both individually and as a church, that we are going as far as God wants us to go and that we're not coming up to a place where we're stopping short. And that was the danger up to this point, that the gospel was only going to go to the Jews and God was beginning to break them out of that and that the gospel was going to stay in this little area here and it wasn't going to branch out into 
Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. So God is, again, using all of these different individuals and all of these different events, and he's obviously in it all and behind it all, as we're going to see tonight. But let's begin by looking, first of all, at Peter at the beginning of Acts chapter 11. The Bible tells us, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, too, had accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and shared a meal with them? You know, how dare you? Now, what we don't get here is that this wasn't just any and all Jewish believers that were giving Peter a hard time. Paul called this group within Jewish Christians the Judaizers. He talks about them a lot in the book of Galatians. And they were more of a party of the circumcision within this growing group of Christians, but they were Jews. And what they couldn't get their mind around was that Gentiles could come to Christ and that all they needed was faith in Christ and they could receive the same Holy Spirit that the Jews who accepted Christ did and that they needed to go no further than that. This group said, no, 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 you need to be circumcised. You know, you need to be like us. And Paul really blows up against them in the book of Galatians. In fact, he says about them, if you allow this group of people to cause you to be circumcised, you have fallen away from grace. And then he says, and Christ then has become no effect to you. I mean, that's pretty strong words. Paul's saying, don't let them tack something on to Christ. Now, here we're going to see that they sort of backed off and went along with it. But if you read the New Testament, you find that this group, this group that wanted to hold on to tradition, doing things this way, because this is always the way it's been, really causes problems in the church. And it's something that you and I have to be aware of as well. Listen, tradition is good as long as it's grounded and rooted in God and in his word. But many times we can start having traditions, if you will, that are not really rooted and grounded in the word of God and can cause a lot of issues. Putting things on other people that God doesn't even put on them. And that was true here. And that's what Peter had to go to Jerusalem to explain. And the Bible says he does in verse 4. And he literally recounts, once again, the conversion of Cornelius. Now, when the Bible repeats something, it does so for emphasis. And so I want to say this tonight. There are four times in the New Testament that the Bible retells the story of the conversion of Cornelius. That's how significant it is, four times. The conversion of Saul is only repeated three times, which obviously that's very significant too. But the conversion of Cornelius, the Gentiles now, accepting and embracing Christ, 
And receiving the Holy Spirit of God is so significant that it's repeated four times in the New Testament. And here's another instance. So I don't want to take the time to go down through all of these verses here at the beginning of chapter 11 because we sort of studied them last week. But Peter recounts the conversion of Cornelius. And notice, he says in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord. As he used to say, John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want you to lock in on that phrase, I remembered the word of the Lord. See, Peter's saying, the experience that I had was very powerful and it was very real, but what really made it real and what really made it powerful was it lined up with what God's word said. It was literally the fulfillment of prophecy. It was the fulfillment of the things that Jesus promised would happen. And I remembered that. And it's so important that you and I remember the word of the Lord throughout our months, throughout our weeks, throughout our days even, because I am convinced that every day that you and I live as New Testament believers, God's word in some way is being fulfilled in our lives every day. And that it's good for us to remember the word of the Lord and the things that God has promised and the things that he said he would do because then we are reminded this is exactly what God said he would do. This is exactly what God said would happen. And it should be a continual encouragement to us that God is literally fulfilling his word every day in and through us. And that's what Peter was struck by, was, oh, the Holy Spirit helped me to remember the words of Jesus. John will baptize this way. You will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly, Peter said, what happened. So then he says to them, therefore, verse 17, and these verses, these next two verses are very key. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder God? And when they heard this, they ceased their objections, which was good, and praised God, saying, so then God has granted the repentance that leads to life even to the Gentiles. I want us to see in this first part, before we get to Antioch, which is where I want to concentrate tonight's message, that Peter... <laughs> was running the race, and he was running it all the way out. He was running every step of this journey, and he wasn't quitting back here. He continued to run it all the way out as God was revealing things to him and taking it all the way. And again, it's just a great example to us, Peter, a great challenge for us to make sure that unlike the nation of Israel, unlike so many other churches, down through history and maybe so many other individual Christians that we don't stop short of all that God wants us to experience and enjoy and be a part of in this life. And Peter was on that way, okay? But the other reason I want to stop here tonight and at least look at these last couple verses about Peter is because Peter really summarizes in, in a very succinct and yet powerful way what is a Christian. In these two verses, verses 17 and 18. Let me just ask you a quick sort of quiz question. If someone was to come up and ask you, explain to me in 50 words or less what a Christian is, could you do it? 
Well, with the help of Peter, I think you can. Because Peter basically gives three things that make a Christian in these three verses. Every Christian has to experience these three things. I want to start, first of all, with verse 18, that God grants all of us that believe in Jesus repentance that leads to life. You see, repentance has got to be part of it. John the Baptist message, repent. Jesus' message, repent. Repent simply means to change my mind and therefore change my direction in life. It is a willingness to change. But notice something that Peter says that is very key here, that God is even the one that grants repentance. In other words, you and I as human beings, we don't sometimes even as Christians understand the grasp of total depravity and of being dead in our sins, that God even had to grant us the ability to be able to stop in our life and turn in another direction and change. Now, not everybody does, even when God grants them that ability. Some people just keep plowing on through and, and never repent and never change. But for those of us who have, it is God, just like he grants us faith in order to believe, he also grants us repentance that leads to life everlasting. So, first, repentance. Second, Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17. I have to repent and be willing to change the direction of my life. That's what a Christian is. Second, a Christian is one who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, a Christian is one who has received the gift of God, speaking of the Holy Spirit, verse 17. That's what a Christian is. One who has repented, one who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and one who has received the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. There, within even 25 words or less, you can tell somebody that's what a Christian is. Now, <clears throat> baptism is the first step of obedience after becoming a Christian. But notice, baptism is not part of becoming a Christian. It is the first step of obedience after becoming a Christian. And then one is added to the church, and one begins again this whole wonderful life of discovering who God created us to be, as we're talking about from 1 Peter on Sunday morning. So, with that said, notice verse 19. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one, though, but Jews, but there were some, some who were willing to go further, and not only go further geographically, but go further than just speaking to Jews, and this group, again, we don't even know who they were, There's, they're not mentioned in the Bible by name, it just says some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them, came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news about Jesus. What an encouragement. Because that was God's vision for his people, for his church all along. Go into all the world, make disciples. You know? 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Lo, I am with you always. Go, he said. And finally, the church is going. Now notice something here. It all started with the ignition, if you will, of Stephen's martyrdom. So here was another great example for us, that even this young man who gave up his life for the cause of Christ was used by God to start a fire in God's people and to begin to get them to spread and scatter throughout the known world so that the message, the good news about Jesus Christ could be spread. So it doesn't matter whether I live into my 90s as John the Apostle did or whether I die a very young age as Stephen. Did I go all the way with God as far as what God had planned for me? And his plan and his will for each of us as individuals is different. Now obviously he has a plan for us as a church. And as we come to Acts chapter 11, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, is are we willing as God's people, a community of believers, to go all the way with God in his plan for us as the Oasis Church? But then we also have to practically apply it to our individual lives. Am I willing to go all the way with God in his plan for me? Or will I stop short out of whatever, unbelief, fear, doubt, you know, uh, lack of support by others around. I, I, you know, it can be many, a myriad of different reasons why, but what we see with Peter and what we see with Stephen is that they, at this point in their life, were running it all the way out. And they were faithful to God unto the end. And then again, this group mentioned in verse 20, they didn't stop. They kept on going all the way to Antioch. And they didn't just go to the Jews, they went to the Gentiles too. Now we know that this pleased the Lord because the next thing that's really key here is in verse 21, not only did Peter remember the word of the Lord back in verse 16, but here Luke records the hand of the Lord was with them. I love that phrase. Why? Because God is invisible. He's an invisible God. And yet three times in the New Testament, all by the way, only Luke uses this phrase three times. Luke mentions the hand of the Lord. And what he is trying to describe is the manifestation of the visible presence of God in some way that is tangible to God's people even though he's invisible. And you and I who have been Christians for any length of time and been part of the church any length of time, we get this. Because we understand, yes, God is invisible, but we know and can sense when he's moving. We can feel his presence. We, we know when the hand of the Lord is either on somebody or in something or the fingerprints of God are all over. We get that phrase. We understand what it means when the invisible God makes himself manifest in some visible way, when his presence shows up and can be felt in some tangible way. And it was, it was God's way of, of encouraging and assuring and confirming what this group had done because basically all they were doing was being obedient to what God asked them to do in the first place, go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Go to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what they were doing. So God was with them. So notice something here. This is encouraging. When you and I go all the way 
with God, whether, again, it's as a church or as individuals, God's hand will be right there on us and with us the whole time, assisting, supporting, helping, encouraging, empowering, enabling, you name it, the hand of God will be with you. Because we're doing what God wants us to do. The only time the hand of God comes off of us is when we're not doing what God asks us to do, or we stop short of going as far as God wants us to go, or we go too far beyond what God wants us to go. Then God will take his hand off. Doesn't want to be a part of it. We're on our own. <laughs> but when we are doing what God asks us to do, and we are relying and depending on him, his hand will be with us. And I, I hope tonight, beyond you being encouraged like Peter by remembering the word of the Lord and asking God to bring his word and, and the fulfillment of his word to your, to your heart and to your mind every day, because I think we live out the fulfillment of God's word every day, I also pray that you will sense the hand of the Lord upon you each and every day. Because he wants you and I to, to live that way. And it says, because of this, a great number, verse 21, who believe, turn to the Lord. Again, sort of a phrase that summarizes what repentance is all about, a change of direction, a turning away from other things and a turning to the Lord. So a report about them came to the attention of the church in Jerusalem. Now this is key. Why is this key? Because now Gentiles were being saved, and yet Here's this large contingent, sort of the, the mother church, if you will, back in Jerusalem. And one of the things that God was trying to preserve is even though he wanted the gospel to go worldwide and continue to stretch and stretch and stretch, he needed to bring these especially Jewish Christians along to where the church could stay unified and to where it didn't fracture into Gentile church, Jewish Christian church, to where they were one in Jesus Christ under the blood of the the cross, and where they could all come together, Jew and Gentile, and exist in the same church and be of one mind and glorify God with one mouth. So it was key that the Jerusalem church and the Jewish Christians, especially the leaders of the church that stayed back in Jerusalem, would support and, and be okay and be in with what was going on. Now, here's another key, though. They had to pick one person, one representative of their church to go and sort of deal with this issue and oversee this issue and whatever. And can I just tell you, they picked the right guy <laughs> because we know through the New Testament teachings about Barnabas what a quality guy Barnabas was, but let me say this. They could have picked somebody different and it could have went a whole different way. You see, the Bible teaches the significance of one individual and how one individual, maybe even you, could make such a huge difference in a situation, in a church, in a family, in a community, at your work, at your school, wherever. One person can make a difference in a positive way, and let me say this, the Bible also teaches one person can make a big difference in a negative way. Do you not recall the verse in the Bible that says one sinner, one, 
Sinner destroys much good. One. One. One good person, like Barnabas, can make all the difference in the world. But one sinner, somebody who's not acting right, can really cause a lot of damage. One. The power of one. Think about this. If the oasis had a really important issue, something crucial to maybe even the future of the direction of our church and where we went, who would we choose to send as our representative? Who would be the one person that we go, okay, I, I trust them in that situation to be able to handle such a, a key thing? That's the reputation that Barnabas had in the church at Jerusalem. Because out of all the people they could have sent, they sent Barnabas. And here's why. First of all, verse 23, when he came, I love this, he saw the grace of God. Yes, the grace of God is an internal thing within each of us, but it always manifests itself in an external way. Just as we can see the hand of the Lord when the invisible God manifests himself, we can also see the grace of God. We talked a little bit about that Sunday from our message, how others should be able to see God's grace in our lives every day. And then he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. So let me go back. One key phrase was Peter remembering the word of the Lord to encourage him. Two, the second key phrase, verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. The third key phrase I see here in Acts chapter 11 is Barnabas's encouragement to the church here of Gentiles to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. By the way, the word true here, as translated in the Net Bible, literally means to remain adhered to or attached to. In other words, it speaks about staying close. Don't distance yourself from the Lord. It's a good reminder for each of us, not only to remember the word of the Lord every day and to have the hand of the Lord with us, but to stay true, to stay attached, to stay adhered to cling to the Lord every day with devoted hearts, committed hearts, unwavering hearts. You could translate that word. Single-mindedness, if you will. What great counsel. It's, you know, that's, that's a good reminder for us each and every day of our lives to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts throughout our lifetime as we have the hand of the Lord upon us and we remember the word of the Lord. But here's why Barnabas, I think, was chosen out of everyone in the church at Jerusalem to go to Antioch and play such a key role in bringing the church in Jerusalem and all these Jewish Christians along with this now growing big church in Antioch with all of these Gentile Christians together. Notice what it says about Barnabas. First of all, he was a good man. He was a good man. He was kind. 
He was tender-hearted. He was compassionate. He was, he was just a good man. Second, he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And because of this, he was a fruitful man because it says a significant number of people were brought to the Lord after his arrival. God was using this one man and his presence in this Christian community to even bring it further along. So here again, you got Peter who's running it out. You had Stephen who's running it out. Now you got some of these people that we don't know them by name, but they were running it out because they went all the way to Antioch and instead of stopping with the Jews, they started to share the gospel with the Greeks, with the Gentiles. And now you got Barnabas running it all the way out. God, whatever you want, as far as you want me to go, God, here I am. I'm going to go all the way with you. No wonder the New Testament calls Barnabas the son of encouragement. And the next key phrase in chapter 11 is this phrase in verse 24. A significant number of people were brought to the Lord. Remembered the word of the Lord, hand of the Lord was upon them, remained true to the Lord, and now people being brought to the Lord. And I want you to see this phrase, not just in that narrow way of, well, that meant people were being brought to the Lord for salvation and they became believers. That's certainly true here. But I want us to think about the application of bringing people to the Lord in, in even more than just salvation experiences. Even think of the story in the New Testament of the man who was paralyzed, who had these friends that brought him to Jesus on, on the mat so that Jesus could heal him. They were bringing him to the Lord because they knew that only Jesus could heal him. You see, we can even bring other Christians to the Lord. In fact, every time you and I meet, I know it's Nicole's heart, our worship leader, to bring this church in worship to the Lord, to bring us to his feet, to bring us into his presence, as she said tonight. That's my intent as your pastor who teaches the word, is to bring us to the Lord through his word. So we, every day we live, we not only can see the hand of the Lord upon us and remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts and remember the word of the Lord, but we can be bringing people literally to the Lord every day, whether they're Christian or not. Anytime we're encouraging people, Jesus is your answer. His word has the answer. Worship him, that's the answer. Whatever we're doing to bring people from where they are closer to the Lord, that's bringing people to the Lord. And that's what we as a church should always be doing. That's what we as individual Christians should always be doing is bringing each other and bringing others to the Lord because he's the only one that can transform our lives. He's the only one that can heal. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can rescue. He's the only one that can deliver. He's the only one that has the wisdom and the grace and the power. That's why all of us should be continually coming to the living stone, as Peter says. Because without Christ, as even Jesus said in John 15, we can do nothing apart from him. So what 
Tremendous words here in Acts chapter 11. But then don't miss this in wrapping this up tonight, because I'm going to end with verse 26. But first of all, look at verse 25. Huge. Now, again, because Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit, we believe that what he did now was through the leading of the Holy Spirit. But don't miss what he did. He departed from this revival, in a sense, that's taking place now in Antioch, and he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. By the way, this word look here is only used twice in the New Testament, only twice, once here and one other time. And it's not just a casual looking. It's a, like an intense, like, I'm going to move heaven and earth to find this person. So you know the only other time this word look is used in the New Testament? You remember the story when Jesus was a young boy and Mary thought Joseph had Jesus in the caravan and Joseph thought Mary had Jesus and they discovered like many miles outside of Jerusalem, oh my goodness, Jesus is still back in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that both parents ran back to Jerusalem and looked for Jesus. Can you imagine, you know, how intense they were in looking for their son, thinking maybe they had lost him? That's the word that's used here. That, that's how passionate, that's how intense Barnabas was to find Saul. Why is that significant? Well, for a couple reasons. One, God always intends for us to never do ministry alone. And Barnabas could see real quickly, I need somebody as a partner, as a companion in ministry back here to do ministry with. I, I, I can't do this by myself. But there's another thing here that shows his humility. And that is that something that all of us as Christians should recognize is that I can't be the answer for everything that we all have to come together and pull our resources and pull our gifts and pull our abilities to be able to balance out and to give everybody a full sort of ministry, if you will. You see, what Barnabas recognized was there are gifts and talents and abilities that I have, but there's a lot that I don't have that Saul has. And now if I bring Saul on board with me and we form this team, there's things that Saul can do that I can't do. There's strengths that he has that I don't have. There's gifts and abilities and talents that God gave Saul that he didn't give me. And so Saul now and Barnabas are going to form this very formidable team back in Antioch. And for a while, they're going to turn Antioch upside down. And it even says, when he finally, verse 26, found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a significant number of people. A dynamic duo, if you will, in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Saul. And then the Bible closes with this in this passage. It was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. And as I pointed out several weeks ago, it wasn't until the second century that Christians started calling themselves Christians. <laughs> second century. Up to the second century, Christians were called Christians by non-Christians because of their distinctive way of doing things and their distinctive lifestyle and their distinctive way of loving each other and getting along with each other, as we've talked about. And they would remind the non-Christians of Jesus Christ and the way he was and the, what he taught. 
And that's why they were called Christians. But the first place they were ever called Christians in the world was right here in Antioch. And it was because people like Peter, people like Stephen, who wasn't even around anymore, who left such a powerful legacy, though, through his life and death, through these group of people that went as far as Antioch and even shared the gospel with the Gentiles, people like Barnabas and now someone like Saul, they're running it all the way out. That God said, here's where I want you to be, and instead of stopping back here, they kept on going all the way. What an encouragement, what an example, what a challenge for you and I as a church because, again, I believe that God has a personal purpose and will and plan for the Oasis Church. And like many churches, like the nation of Israel, we can say, well, God, I'll follow you this far as a church. We'll follow you this far, but we won't go any further. We want to stay here. And so we miss out as a church then if we're not willing to run it all the way out. The same thing is true with us as individuals. How many Christians down through history God had a plan, a purpose, a will for their life, and it, it's ended somewhere over here, and they settled to stop here. And God is speaking to all of us, I think, through a chapter like Acts 11, and he's saying to us, don't stop. Don't run ahead of God. Don't go beyond what God wants, but don't ever stop before you run it all the way out and go all the way with what God has planned for you and for me. Let's pray. God, thank you for such a tremendous chapter filled with such fruit. And God, I pray tonight that whether it's Peter who remembered the word of the Lord, whether it was those, Lord, who went as far as Antioch, that your hand was upon them, whether it was Barnabas who encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, or whether it was just the whole church in Antioch bringing people to the Lord. God, may all of these phrases from your word, Lord, just continue to settle down into our hearts and minds in the days ahead. May they challenge us, may they encourage us, and may we follow the example of the men and women from Acts chapter 11. May we as a church never stop short, God, in our history of what you have for us, but may we run it all the way out. And even tomorrow, God, would you give maybe each of us an opportunity to bring someone to the Lord? To, to, to point people to you in some way, whether it be a non-Christian or a Christian. That every day, God, we can, in a sense, bring somebody closer to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before I let you leave, real quick, don't forget, first Sunday of April, our ninth anniversary and our grand opening, there's postcards out there on the table. Please take those with you. So you can invite somebody to come with you and maybe bring them to the Lord. Second, Resurrection Seminar, Saturday, uh, April 13th, right here in the auditorium. 
sign-up sheet is out there. If you can come, I think you'd really enjoy it. Then obviously Easter's the 21st, and then the 28th, the last Sunday of April, that special standalone message on what to do when you face the greatest crisis of your life. Not only a message I want all of us as a church to hear, but another great opportunity to bring people to, the, to God's house so that they can hear that message as well. Guys, God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.